Hey, what's up, guys? Wow, very dry. I tell y'all this every time. Hey, what's up, guys? Okay, you are in the land of the living. Thank you, Jesus. I always like to do that because I think sometimes church can be a little boring. Um, I am a pastor, and I think that as well. And so I want you guys to, you know, even though you might think it's boring, act like you don't, right? act like it's like a good place to be in. No, but um, as I mentioned before, my name is Daniqua. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm so glad that you could join us. One of the things I always say is you could be anywhere else, but you decided to be here. So give yourselves a round of applause. Also, today is August 1st, so happy August. Um, It's the turn up month, right? No, y'all lame. Y'all lame. But this month is always a little sad for me because it means summer is about to end. Since the pandemic started last year, months have really felt like they run into each other and every day kind of feels like Wednesday. Am I in this by myself? (laughs) But August kind of feels a little bit different this year. Um, If you're anything like me, August is like that true signifier that summer is doing its final performance. And so I feel like I have to try and get in all the fun in these last few weeks. This summer in particular has felt like an important one, especially uh, following last year's lockdown. And especially because I was away from my family and friends who I deeply care about. So I probably like so many others of us, uh, what Matt uh, likes to call capital O outside. I've been outside, y'all. I've been enjoying the good things of what God has given to us like brunch, right? Um, And taking as many free moments to be in community, kicking it with my homies, and really uh, giving and getting a lot of love. I would say that the, the isolation specifically of last year made the togetherness of this year feel that much more important to me. It's even made me sensitive to other folks' isolation stories, even when they're a little bit different than mine. See, we all have our own quarantine stories. That's something we've been placing emphasis on since it actually started. But I think that we can agree that as human beings, being involuntarily cordoned off, isolated, and made to stay away from one another tends to have hard effects on these bodies of ours. See, even if you're a tried and true through and through introvert, being deprived the option of fellowship feels like it's its own sort of suffering. So this past year, it has made many of us pretty sensitive to other folks' stories of isolation. So I'm not up here just to talk to you guys about how I'm gonna go to brunch on Monday. <laughs> but actually, we have a, a, a teaching. And in today's scripture for today's, uh, te- for today's sermon, we meet an unnamed woman who has spent a lot of time in involuntary isolation. This woman has been quarantined for about 12 years, to be exact. The Bible says that she had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. Now, when I said that line, many of you kind of perked up and you know, I know this story. But my question and my ask of you and even an invitation is for you to take the time to see this story anew. See, she had a condition, this woman, this unnamed woman in this story that caused her to have uterine hemorrhaging. And and, and it happened for such a long and agonizing time. See, her condition in particular, it made her subject to isolation in ancient Jewish culture. 
if we do a short leap back to the Old Testament, we'll actually find out why in Leviticus chapter 15. It lets us know in that chapter specifically that under Jewish law, if a woman were to bleed more than more days than her regular cycle, she was considered ceremonially unclean and unfit to enter the temple and do any of the religious practices. This meant that she had to be quarantined so that she might not defile anything or anyone else. This meant that she needed to be separated, isolated from everyone that loved her and everyone that she loves for over a decade. It was understood that anything she sat on, where she laid, and anything that she made contact with would be considered defiled. But despite that reality, in our scripture today, Luke 8, chapter 8, verses 44, it says that in a crowd full of people, she came up behind Jesus and she touched the fringe of his clothes. And immediately, her bleeding stopped. How did this seemingly ostracized woman end up in a crowd? What brought her to touch Jesus? After 12 years of not having contact with anyone and probably being scared to do so, what made her decide that today was the day? That Jesus was the one that she would lay hands on? As we enter into this scripture, I want us to pray together before we journey through this text as it teaches us through this woman how the kingdom of God can actually come into our eyes. So pray with me. Would you bow your eyes? Bow your heads, rather. Lord, we thank you and we praise you for this moment. We thank you for who you are. God, we ask right now that we might have ears to hear, eyes to, he eyes to see, and hearts to receive. Lord, right now, in the name of Jesus, I just declare that you care about your people and you do not fail them. Lord, I ask right now in the name of Jesus that you help me to teach this word as you've shown it to me, oh God. That you give to me your holy and righteous spirit, a clean heart, so that I am able to give to your people what you've planted inside of me, oh God. So Lord, we receive this word with thanksgiving. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. So currently we are in a really cool series we're calling Behold, a Kingdom Summer. During this series, we have been learning about one of Jesus's key elements of teaching in the New Testament, the Kingdom of God. We've been studying about how life can be in the presence of God as we become more of his reign in and around and among us. It's becoming ever clearer to us that the kingdom of God ain't something that we want to miss. And despite it's sometimes counterintuitive ask of us, it's something that we really, really need. For this series, we decided to actually track with Christ ruling among us through the gospel of Luke. Last week, Matt confidently confessed his unapologetic Bible nerdiness. And guess what, y'all? I'm going to stick beside him. I'm going to stick beside him. <laughs> I, too, have a deep love for the Bible. Specifically, I love the way that the Gospel of Luke holds nothing back on emphasizing the humanity of Jesus Christ. In Luke's Gospel, Jesus' humanity is not just a physical coincidence. In Luke's Gospel, Jesus' humanity, his flesh and mortality is intentional, a masterful decision made by God. 
Jesus in the gospel of Luke is not just portrayed as human. He's deeply affected by being human and it becomes his full identity. In Luke 7 specifically, Jesus, he marveled um, at the faith of a Roman centurion, so surprised that Jesus actually decided to heal him because his faith marveled him and surprised him so much. And then he continued to do miracles into the Luke chapter 8, where Jesus actually falls asleep on a boat. And as he sleep on this boat, this uh, large storm comes and the boat that he and his disciples are in, it fills with water. And they get really scared and they say, hey, Jesus, wake up. What are you doing? What are you doing? Jesus wakes up. He's like, hey, y'all, where's your faith? And I'm looking at him like, where's yours? Why were you asleep? <laughs> and he says to the waves and to the wind, be still. And the scripture says that a great calm came over everything. And the disciples' reaction to this wasn't like, oh, Lord, thank you, Jesus. It was, what matter of man is this? Who is this God who can fall asleep like us, but wakes up and commands nature like it's nothing? And then also in Luke 8, Jesus, he heals a man who's possessed with many demons, leaving this man who was once uh, living among tombs and without clothes on. He gets uh, uh, these demons taken out of him by Jesus and he starts to be, he uh, gets clothed and he's in his right mind and he decides to sit at the feet of Jesus. And in response to this miracle, the townspeople where this agonized and terrorized man lives, they ask him to leave. Again, another story where the people there are almost offended at the way in which this man that looks like them, this common familiar person, could actually uh, 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 deliver and set free and heal, but he looks too familiar. He looks too close to their identity. They get offended. They get, they get defiant by the tension of being able to hold uh, the, ordinary of, the ordinariness of Jesus and the supernatural deliverances that also come along with him. But I don't want to bore you with all of those miracle stories. The story that we have today specifically is in Luke chapter 8, verses 40, if you're following in your Bible. In our story today, we find a densely packed crowd where people are waiting for Jesus. This crowd had somehow heard of all the miracles that he'd performed that I just mentioned, and they wanted to come close. In verse 41, it says specifically as this story starts that just then, as the crowd was forming around Jesus, there was a man named Jairus, a leader of the synagogue. He fell at Jesus' feet and begged him to come to his house. Jairus says to Jesus, my 12-year-old daughter is dying, but if you come and you lay your hands on her, she shall surely live again. Then he asks Jesus to come to his house, and Jesus agrees. But while Jesus and Jairus are on their way, there is an interruption. An unnamed woman, seemingly insignificant, didn't, no one actually took the time of, to find out what her name was. She comes up and she touches Jesus and she's healed immediately. But this isn't any ordinary woman. This woman specifically is one who ain't supposed to touch nobody. And then Jesus in verse 45, he says, who touched me? And then when all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and they press in on you. You are thronged by people right now. But Jesus said, mm -mm -mm. someone touched me 
for I noticed that power had gone out from me. Jesus, at this very moment of Jairus' request and this woman having touched him, he's sandwiched between two seemingly impossible and desperate situations of illness. A 12-year-old daughter who's on her deathbed and a woman with a 12-year illness at the very hem of his garment. Though these situations have equal urgency, the contrast between these two people could not be more stark. One is a man, one is a woman. One is a synagogue leader, the other is nameless. One is powerful, the other one is disenfranchised and ostracized. But though the situations are different, on the way to heal this powerful man's dying daughter, Jesus' stride gets disrupted by the small touch of this diseased woman, and he decides to slow down. Jesus cannot resist knowing what has happened to him, what power has been drawn from his body by someone who he does not know. We could assume that Jesus knew who touched him and only asked who touched me to be the crafty savior teaching everybody else in the crowd a lesson. That's not far from Jesus. But that doesn't feel on brand for Luke. And, and I'm also willing to believe that in Jesus' humanity, he actually did not know who touched him. Jesus could not resist knowing what manner of faith had requested power so deeply from him that he had to let it go. Once he asked this question, they searched the crowd looking for what, who it was. Jesus finally finds out that it's the woman. The woman realized that she could no longer remain hidden, and she came trembling and fell before Jesus, telling him why she touched him and how she had been healed. In verse 48 specifically, Jesus, as he, she lays before his feet trembling, he says to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. I am certain that this woman was not prepared to have a conversation with Jesus. And some might say that her desire to remain hidden was out of fear and maybe even cowardice. But as I consider this woman's plan to go into that crowd and, and, and make a decision to touch Jesus, all I can see is fearlessness, courage, and determination. This woman ordinarily could not have gotten close to Jesus as he was speaking with a religious leader because of her status in that society. And even more important, this woman's illness was not one easily hidden. She ran the risk of being pointed out by someone who noticed her in the crowd, being pointed out by someone who knows her disease, what she struggles with, and that she is out of place. And for women in the, in, in the congregation today, many of us know the struggle of menstrual cycles. Bleeding for 12 years straight has surely left her weak, worn out, and feeble. But she gathered up enough strength in order to go and stretch towards the Savior. Moreover, this nonstop bleeding, it surely comes with a stench. It surely comes with a smell left on her clothes and on her skin that she probably desperately tries scrubbing out of her belongings with no progress. And despite all that, she pressed on to get to her Savior and to be healed. Last week, Matt beautifully proclaimed to us that the kingdom of God is not just about wonder works, about being healed from being sick, and, uh, but uh, it's about a whole other way in which the world works. 
He described how we cannot reduce the kingdom of God to miraculous incidents, but we must understand Jesus as the anointed one who points us to the source of all these miracles, God. This woman, she decided to not just believe Jesus for the miracles that she'd heard that had been happening. In touching Jesus's body, she decided to believe in him for his incarnation. This woman's desperation for her well-being had her search out for Jesus, and it was, her, it was her declaration of wanting to be a part of the kingdom of God that she actually had no clue was on the other side of that. In touching Jesus's body for herself, this woman no longer, she decided she no longer wanted to just be a consumer of Jesus's supernatural power, and she no longer wanted a transactional divine experience. She wanted in. She wanted a part of that power. She decided to have faith that God himself had been wrapped in flesh and had, had come to save her. In her touch, she decided to believe Emmanuel, that God is with us. This woman decided to believe that God loved her so much to bring the kingdom come to her as Jesus in bodily, fleshly form. She decided that she wanted to bring in reality, she, that she had been brought into the reality of her savior that she could rub in between her fingers, that was tangible to her, that was a part of the renewal that she needed in her life. In this woman's faith, we find our own body's acceptance. We find our own body's renewal. We find our own body's affirmation in the kingdom of God. She believed that Jesus's holy incarnate body joined with hers, resulted in a body not to be isolated or thrown away, but redeemed and healed. Her body contact with Jesus, the touch that she decided to give to the anointed one, she found out that she could be made holy, given new life, even in her body's weaknesses and limitations. This woman decided that she wanted to be a part of the kingdom of God without signing a release form, without reading the fine print. She decided that Jesus's holy and righteous incarnate body right before her was enough for her to go towards and touch because her body too could be a part of that. She believed that all of what was limited in her becomes glory and touch with Jesus. Through her boldness, we see who Jesus is for who we see who Jesus is for who he is. The one who welcomes our bodies into the kingdom of God. In fact, the one who welcomes our bodies into the kingdom of God and says that they're necessary for the kingdom of God. We see that when we decide that Jesus is touchable, tangible, ready to receive us wholeheartedly, that we too can be touchable, tangible, and to receive the kingdom wholeheartedly. In my own story of what it means to be able to have a body that's welcomed into the kingdom of God, I had many experiences throughout my life that would have me to disassociate from my body. Specifically, uh, the physical and sexual abuse of my childhood that made me feel like everything about this physical being of mine was defiled. There was nothing too good about it in order to be received by Jesus Christ. But as long as I prayed hard enough and, 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 and I was in church long enough, 
and, and I thought enough about what was righteous and good and lovely that I'd make it into heaven somehow. But as I began to disassociate with my body, I started to realize that there was a chasm between who I was and who I wanted to be and who I thought who Jesus was. There was a chasm between the, my theology of me being fully uh, redeemable and savable and salvageable by the one true savior when I didn't, res- I didn't think that it could have been these hands and, and this mind and this hair. I looked around and I also saw the same things in other people, that we were too, too messy, too defiled, too diseased, too gritty in order to be saved by the one and true savior. And, and I realized there were holes in my theology, holes in the ways that I identified with myself and also with Jesus. And some of you guys know uh, the week before last, I was sick, sick for two weeks straight. Don't worry, it wasn't COVID. <laughs> I know y'all thinking it. But during these two weeks of being sick, I was, so, I was hurting so much in my body. There was so much pain. I was coughing up blood. When I would cough, I would cry because it hurt so bad. And I wanted to, I realized in those moments that I wanted to leave my body. It was in so much pain that I wanted to escape it. But in fact, one of the things that the Lord pressed upon my heart and my mind is he says, don't leave your body. Ask me to heal it. Don't disassociate from the the place that I've created for you. You are not a chalk outline in which I try to feel, but you are a real, true field being. And so in the midst of my own struggle, what I discovered more deeply was that I'm more than salvageable. I'm more than redeemable, Matt. I'm, I exceed that. Matt told us we exceed that when we become more of who we are supposed to be. And so in my pain, I cried out, even if it was just in holy tongues. And I said, God, come and save me and heal me. There are ways in which we exclude our bodies from the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Maybe it's because we've been bullied about our bodies, what others have said about our bodies, what they think about it, the way that they look at it, what we've believed about our bodies, how we've made comparisons to who other people are and what we're not, what's been said about our bodies, even when people compliment us. We think that we have to uphold and keep that standard in order to actually be cared for and loved and saved. Oftentimes we get so accustomed to what it means to take care and disciple our minds and our spirits and all of those good things. But what does it mean to know that our bodies are being discipled along with? That all of these things are happening simultaneously and gracefully because of the will and the work of God. I think it's so powerful that the man named Jairus, he he looked on as Jesus willingly allowed power to come out of his body. As Jesus, he, he, he waited there to see who had taken from his body out of a need for healing. Jairus, this powerful man who had been given all of this prestige, he saw Jesus decide to let it go. He saw Jesus let go of power out of his body, out of the fullness of who he is. 
that Jesus wasn't insecure about letting go pieces of his virtue to this woman who actually needed to be healed and whole. This is important because in this moment, in this moment of Jesus deciding to slow down, these two stories, they actually converge. What happens is that in recognition of Jesus, in recognition of this woman's willingness to touch Jesus and say that her body could be a part of Jesus's incarnation, she slowed down the process. And what happened is things got switched over. Jairus was the one who asked Jesus to come and help him first. But she decided to disrupt all of that and come and touch him. And what Jesus helps us to realize is that his body, his incarnation, is actually the one who reallocates power. It's the one that takes things out of turn. It sets things on its head. It decides what it means for things to be transformed out of sequence in order to actually acknowledge everyone in the room. In this biblical story, Jesus' body becomes the centerpiece, the reallocation of power, the table turner of time, the one who takes requests in and out of the sequence they're supposed to come in. And I know you're wondering, did Jesus ever get to that little girl? Did he ever get the opportunity to save her life? Well, actually, before he got there, because he slowed down in order to interact with this woman, the daughter actually died. And once he got to the house to, to uh, uh, see about this little girl, this 12-year-old girl, there were mourners. They were crying. They were weeping. They already were ready to bury this young girl. And Jesus says to them, do not warn, do not mourn, do not, do not cry, for she is not dead. She's yet sleeping. And they laugh at him. They scorn him as if he said something wrong rather than that he's given them hope. Now, in this piece of evidence, what happens is uh, 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 we are so accustomed to holding on to finality. We have an unhealthy relationship with the final say of death. Even the certainty of death feels better than the uncertainty of of living in an animated hope in our lives. This woman... She decided even in this 12 years of agony that a animated hope, a reality of her faith was worth more of her desperation than staying at home and risking being caught. Jesus's body gave her that realization. It gave her that, uh, uh, that ability. It gave her that, that confidence. In this story, Jesus shows us that the kingdom of God, it yields to our pursuit and our longing, a desire to no longer be contactless, but realize that this is a contact sport, that we are called to not just know something about the power of God, we are called to want in on it. And if you're like, Daniqua, okay, the body of Christ isn't here among us. Well, there's scriptures for that. But my favorite one is 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27. It says, now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. As believers, we now serve as the body of Christ. We are to get into the misunderstanding and the inconvenience of reallocated and released power. We are the ones who are supposed to take requests out of sequence. We are the ones who are supposed to go to the least of these and raise them up. We are the ones who are supposed to be representative of that. 
And y'all don't get too happy just yet. This just ain't another message about taking care of the sick, the poor, and the needy. This is a charge to the very bodies sitting in these black, comfortable, foldable plastic chairs. This is a charge to the bodies that are, are a great conduit of God's kingdom come here on earth. This is a charge to Sinclair's body. This is a charge to Lynn's body. This is a charge to Charmaine's body. That through these bodies, we don't get to separate our spirits and, and the discipling of them and, the, and the, uh, what God is doing in them because it hurts or because it feels like God can't save them or because of what people have said about them or because of what we think about them. In the midst of conversations about having summer bodies and, and dad bods and mom bods and body positivity, we are looking to have bodies that are touched by the kingdom of God, that have hope in what the kingdom of God can do with them, with the ways that they are redeemable and salvageable by God's touch. When we actually believe that Jesus' body did it, when we actually believe that Jesus' body can do it, and we actually believe that Jesus' body is doing it right now through us, we gain the faith that our bodies can join him. We have faith that all of who we are, all of who uh, uh, we represent, all of what we become in God's kingdom is realized and it's working here on earth. I'm gonna ask that the uh, worship team come up. And I have a few reflection questions for us as we identify with what God might be bringing up for us. Oftentimes when we consider what it means to pursue God with all of who we are, with the ways in which we disassociate with our bodies because of whatever reason, when we think of what might be considered the final say over our body, whether the final say is anxiety, the final say is depression, whether the final say is just weariness, if we decided that that is it for us, we don't quite get the opportunity to think about the ways that we can have hope and hopefulness for the touch of God that relieves us the touch of God that might not actually heal the exact thing that we needed to, but the hope in Jesus brings us closer to what's happening in the kingdom. And so how are you being invited to pursue God despite your circumstances? How, like the woman with the issue of blood, are you being asked to grab the hem of Jesus's garment in pursuit and not knowing what will be on the other side of your ask of healing and hope? How are you being asked to be brought close to the incarnate, tangible, rub through your fingers, renewed body of Jesus for your own sake? How might you and this is the second question. How can you understand faith in Jesus' coming to us as flesh? How can that, that faith in his coming to us as flesh be an invitation to join him fully in the kingdom? 
that you don't have to leave parts and parcels of yourself behind in order to be invited into what God is doing. And finally, like Jairus' daughter, who Jesus comes into the room as she is laying there without her spirit there, without a breath in her body, Jesus grabs her hand and he says, little girl, little maiden, get up. And she wakes up. She's resurrected from the dead. Like Jairus' daughter, how do you need Jesus to come and bring you to new life with his touch? And, and this is a place of discernment for us because some of us, it's more about the ways in which God is trying to light a fire inside of us for us to come and want to just touch him. To give us bold confidence that all of who we are can actually come to him and be redeemed. And for others of us, we're ready to go. We're ready to do the touch. And we actually need Jesus to come and see about us and resurrect us from the places that feel dead in us. So let me pray for us as we receive. Holy and wondrous God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for being the God that sits up high and comes down low. We name you as God Emmanuel, the one who decided to come and be with us. Because of your great sacrifice, we too can be a part of the larger story of history of being a part of God's story happening here on earth. Your kingdom come and your will be done. And so Lord, right now, I just ask in the name of Jesus as you prick our hearts and open us up to receiving all that you've given us, that we don't lay these bodies to the side of us as outlines of what you thought you wanted, as mistakes, of creation, but instead as ones in which you are moving through right now. God, come and overflow in this place. And Lord, most of all, we ask that as our hearts move in the way of the kingdom of God, that we do not leave these bodies behind. We do not disassociate God because of what we think should be happening. But we draw close. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.